0: We continue looking through uh, the book of uh, James today. I had to think a minute where I was at uh, teaching and doing so many things here lately. Uh, looking at the book of James as we continue our study through the book of James in verses 13 through 18 of chapter 3 this morning. And here we see a contrast between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. Remember last week we, we began to look where James gave a, an admonition about the tongue and how the tongue can be used uh, for good or, or, or for evil. Uh, And here he kind of continues that theme with talking about how wisdom uh, plays into our speech and the things uh, that we say. And so he begins here in verse 13 uh, with this question, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness and with wisdom. The question here that James asks is really more of a challenge than a question. It's basically kind of a rhetorical question. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge? Basically, no one, right, Uh, here that he's talking about this heavenly wisdom. But he's going to tell us how to have that uh, heavenly wisdom. And you can tell a wise person by their speech, by the things they say uh, here. And so the primary way to know a wise person is by his speech, but also here. He tells us to show out of a good conversation their lifestyle, the, the way they live their life. My uh, grandfather used to say this. He used to say, uh, a wise man will change his mind, but a fool never will. And now I was a little kid when he used to say that, and going up there in the summers to visit them uh, in Georgia, you hear the same stories every, every summer, right? for two weeks, for three weeks, however long you're there, and you think, yeah, this crazy old man. But you know, as I've gotten to be a crazy old man myself, uh, amen, uh, I've come to realize that some of those things that he said were really very philosophical and very wise. You think about that. A wise man will change his mind, right? I mean, if you make a decision or you you think something is right and you find out it's wrong... If you're wise, you'll change your mind about it, won't you? But he says here, a fool never will. And so I think that's a good saying uh, that we need to understand this morning here. Uh, And so James here talks about knowledge and he talks about wisdom. I've always said that the difference between wisdom and knowledge is this. Knowledge is knowing what to say. Wisdom is knowing when to say it. And sometimes you need to kind of keep your mouth shut in certain situations, don't you? Oh, me, amen. Yeah, you kind of ignoring me on that one, right? <coughs> but anyway, look what he says, a wise person here. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge? A wise man is one who has spiritual discernment or spiritual discretion. This word endued here means one who is an expert, one who uh, is skilled in understanding. And so he says, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge here? to understand things, to know things here. And then he says, let him show out of a good conversation. And that word conversation means manner of conduct, lifestyle, the way you live your life. So what is he saying here? He's saying that if we have wisdom, it will show forth in the way we live our life. Right? The the way we conduct our life and the things that we do. Now, go back to chapter 1, verse 22. What does he say there? He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So what kind of lifestyle is he talking about here? A wise man and a dude with knowledge among you, let him show out of a good conversation, a good lifestyle, a godly lifestyle is what he's talking about here. One that lives his life here in order to please God. God, go back to chapter 2, verses 14 and following. Look what he says there. And, uh, and here we're just kind of reminding you of some things we've already touched on uh, in this series. He says, what does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he has faith and he has not works? Can that faith save him? In other words, if you say you have faith, but you do never demonstrate it, you never live it in your life, you never give evidence of it, What good is that? Look what he says in verse 15 of chapter 2. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warm, be filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what does it profit? What good is it? Just to say, be filled, be warm. Here's what you need. I'll pray for you, brother. Rather than than help them along the way. Look what he says in verse 17. Verse 17. Even so, faith, if it has not works, is dead. Being alone, it is dead. He says the same thing uh, over here uh, in verse 20. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? So what's he talking about here in chapter 3? If you are skillful, if you are uh, endued with knowledge and with understanding, it will be demonstrated in the way you live your life. You will give evidence of it by the way you live your life. And so he says here, let him show out of a good conversation his works, his good deeds. How? With meekness of wisdom. Now, what does that word meekness mean? It simply means gentleness or power under control. And we talked about that last week where they put the bits in the horse's mouth, right? And it controls that horse, uh, that big Monster horse that uh, you can control with that one little bitty a bit in his mouth. And so here, this is what James is getting back at here. Uh, you, you show your good works with meekness, with gentleness, with power under control. Now, it's in the context of teaching. Go back to chapter 3, verse 1. What did we say last week? My brethren, be not many masters that didaskalos is the word for teacher. Uh, here and that if you desire to be a teacher and he's talking about a teacher of the word of God if you desire to be a teacher of the word of God then what you're going to be held to a higher standard there's a greater condemnation and so if we're going to teach the word of God we have to teach it with the wisdom of God now how do we obtain the wisdom of God chapter 1 verse 5 oh my goodness preacher you're going back through the whole book But do you see how it all ties together? Chapter 1, verse 5, what does he say? If any of you lack wisdom, where does it come from? Let him ask of God that may or may not give it to you. No, that's not what he says. What does he say? Let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally, generously. And he upbraideth not. That is, he, he makes no distinctions. It shall be given. Now, he's writing in the context to believers who are walking with Christ. This is not the worldly wisdom. This is the godly wisdom that he's talking about. And so he says here, who's wise and, and, and skilled or, 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 or endued with this knowledge among you, let him demonstrate it by the way he lives his life and here's how he lives his life here's how he demonstrates his good deeds with gentleness with meekness of wisdom here and so it's not enough as one writer said it's not enough to stand before people and say something you must have something to say now, don't amen this, but have you ever been sitting in, in the church and listening to the preacher? 30, 40 minutes, an hour and a half, whatever, and the preacher didn't say anything. I don't know about you, but if I'm going to sit there and listen to somebody, I want to listen to somebody. I, I, okay, I'll well, calm down over here. If, I, if I'm going to say something, I mean, stand before people and preach the word, there, there must be something to say, Right? Amen. Thank you. Thank you. And so, you can tell in just a few minutes if the preacher has something to say or not, right? And here, James is instructing us in how we are to live our life. How we are to demonstrate that we are children of God. Now, he says here, with meekness of wisdom. Do you realize that meekness is a characteristic of Jesus? You go to Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. Paul said it in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 1. He said, with the meekness of Christ, listen to what I have to say to you. And so it's a, a, a characteristic of Christ. But it is also to be a characteristic of believers. Galatians five, twenty-three. Paul includes it there in the list that we call the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit for those who have been empowered by the Spirit of God... For those who are in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is to be a characteristic of our lifestyle. Meekness. Gentleness. Power under control. And so it's it's something that we need to learn. And something that we need to demonstrate. Particularly in the world we're living in today. Now I don't know about you but. I don't watch much of the news anymore. Because I get angry. And it makes me want to go out there and do some things I shouldn't do. Right? That's the exact opposite of what James is talking about here. Now, does that mean we roll over and play dead? Not at all. But it means we have to use spiritual discernment, spiritual eyes. You know what the world needs today? It needs Jesus. Jesus. And how's it going to come to know Jesus if if his disciples are not acting like Jesus? You and I have a great responsibility. And we talk about this on Thursday mornings at our pastor's meeting. I believe, and I've said this to you for, for a long time now, I believe we're in the last days. And I believe we're moving closer and closer to that trumpet sound. I mean, you just look at what's going on in our society today. The world has gone crazy. Pretty much. And what does the Bible say? Woe to them that call evil good and good evil. That's where we are. That's where we are. And so it can't be much longer. It might be today. It might be next week. It might be next year. It might be ten more years. I don't know. You don't either. But what I do know and what I believe is it's going to be soon. And I believe the reason, and we did the book of Acts a few years ago, and I made this statement then. I think the reason that the first century church was so successful and so excited about sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ was because they believed in their lifetime Jesus was going to return. Chapter 1, verse 14 of the book of Acts uh, you, why are you standing here gazing? This same Jesus that you see being taken up is going to come again. Now go do what he told you to do. And you know what? They took him at his word. And they got out and they began to preach the gospel. And some 3,000 souls were saved in one day. Why? Because those early disciples were faithful to do what Jesus told them to do. And I believe if you and I had that same enthusiasm, that same understanding that he could come back at any time and we are living in a world where where men and women and boys and girls are going to hell each and every day because they die without Christ. You and I need to be the instruments to share the gospel. And so what does he say? If you are endued here, if you are an expert, if you are skilled in understanding, let it show by your good conversation of works The things that you do, the way you live your lifestyle, and live it with meekness of wisdom. That's some good words today, isn't it? Look at verse 14. I preached about an hour on that verse. Verse 14. There's some good stuff in there, though. A lot of stuff in that one little verse. Verse 14 here, the great contrast here. Look what he says. But. The adversative but. And here it is. If you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts. Now, I remind you, he's writing to the church. He's writing to believers. And he says, if you have bitter envying, you know what that word envy means? We just lost our signal, Kurt. Got a black screen. <laughs> Sir? Sir? I got people today, and if it don't come back on, we'll just keep going, okay? Time out. Um, okay, it might not come back on, but just hold that thought. Um, spectrum's coming tomorrow sometime to um, upgrade our internet and uh, anyway that'll be tomorrow and then we've got the cameras ordered that will be here whenever they get here and uh, maybe we won't have these problems Okay, no internet connection? Well, we'll just carry on, and we won't have a live stream today. Except for the first 30 minutes, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, um, what I was saying about the the cameras, uh, they're supposed to be coming sometime soon, and they'll upgrade our internet. It's kind of ironic that this happened. While we're taking a little pause here, I'll just finish up my story. It's kind of ironic that this happened because I got an email from Kelton, our director of missions, one day last week, and they've been doing their their meetings uh, through Zoom and uh, every third Tuesday. And so the Zoom meeting was this last Tuesday, uh, and I didn't get on there, weren't able to get on there. But anyway, he sent an email out Wednesday or Thursday uh, with the highlights of the meeting. And basically what the meeting was talking about is what pastors in, in our association are doing and with the live stream and all, and some of them talking about some of the technical difficulties they had to begin with and what they've done to correct them and all that. And I'm thinking... Huh? We've been doing it 13, 14 weeks or whatever, and one time we lost signal. So we must be doing something right. Yeah, he showed me this morning, didn't he? But anyway, you are here. You are here. Sir? That's right. Anyway, you are here, so we're going to finish. And now that I don't have to stand there and into the camera, I can move a little more. Amen. Oh, me. But we're talking about this contrast between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. And we were looking, just beginning to look at verse 14. He says, but if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, that word envying means jealous, or it's the word we get our word zealous from. Now understand, there's nothing wrong with being zealous for something, being passionate about something. Having a strong desire for something, right? Now, there again, it can be positive or negative, And in the positive context, there's nothing wrong with it. But notice how he qualifies it here with this adjective bitter. Bitter envying. Bitter jealousy. There's some rivalries, some competitions going on uh, in the church here. And so, James here is, is talking about this being resentful or being harsh uh, with one another strive in your hearts here <coughs> and he and he talks about this selfish ambition that is going on in the church there's some rivalries going on in the church and he's saying these things should not be in the church right and so he talks about this if there's bitter envying and strife in your heart to glory not to boast not in those things What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 16? He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father, boast in your Father. What did James say in in Galatians chapter, uh, not James, but Paul say in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14? He said, I glory, I boast in nothing but the cross of Christ. That should be (coughs) our attitude today. And so he says here, James says, if you have this... Bitter envying and strife in your hearts here. Uh, this, this bitter jealousy, this rivalry going on. Don't glory in that because you're lying against the truth. The truth of God's Word. I am, um, I think I've said this to you before, but I'm preparing a class uh, to teach this next semester over here at the uh, seminary on Pauline theology. And part of uh, the course we'll uh, discuss um, Paul's view of anthropology, his view of man. And he talks in that course, he, Paul uses several different words to talk about how we are made up, uh, the constitution of, of a human being. Uh, he talks about a, 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 a contrast between soma, which is the Greek word for body, and sarx, which is the Greek word for flesh. And if you've read Paul's letters, you understand, he says something about the body, and he uses that term in the the context of the church, the body of Christ, right? But he also talks about the flesh, that part of man that is depraved, that part of man that seeks to do man's thing and not God's thing. He talks about a contrast between suke, which is the soul, and pneuma, which is the spirit. Uh, And I think you can kind of See where that would fit in. But what I the uh, reason I'm telling you that is I want to tell you this. He talks about a contrast between nous, which is mind, and cardia, which is heart. And when he talks about, and it's the word we get our word cardiology from. I, you nurses will appreciate that. Uh, but the cardia, according to Paul and the way James is using it here, it's not just talking about this organ that pumps blood through your body. Is talking about the very seed of emotions. The very inner being. The very inner person of who you are. And so this is what James is saying. This is how James uses it here. He says, if you have bitter envying and strife, where? In your heart. Your very innermost being. The very part that makes you who you are. If you have this in your heart. It should not be that way. What is he saying? Do not lie against the truth. Glory not and lie against the truth. Don't boast in that. Don't glory in that. And so here he gives us basically two evidences of earthly wisdom here. And he says it's bitter envying and it's strife in your hearts. And then he tells us where this... Earthly wisdom comes from. And he gives us three distinctive traits of it in verse 15. Look what he says. This wisdom descendeth not from above. So if it's not from above, where is it from? It's from below, right? And so he describes it for us here. He says, first of all, it is earthly. That is, it is worldly. How is the world acting today? People in general in the world that are lost without Christ. How are they acting? They're acting like they're lost and without Christ aren't they? Why are they acting that way? Because that's where they are right. That's who they are. They don't know the truth. Maybe they've heard the truth. But they've never come to grasp the truth. They've never come to believe in the truth. And they've never come to trust the truth. What is truth? Truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the truth. And he is the truth. And so James says this wisdom here that I've just described in verse 14 is, is not from above. It is earthly here. It is worldly. It is weak. It is imperfect. That's what all that word means there but secondly he says it is sensual here that is it is natural or worldly minded here it is based on human reason and human feeling now do you find it ironic I do I don't know if you do and maybe you haven't thought this through yet But I find it very ironic that we are on the verge of a second civil war in this country because of people who are upset over the first one. Makes no sense at all. We're there, we're close. Without divine intervention, it's going to happen. Now, I encourage you to go ahead and start reading 1 Peter. Because when I get through with the book of James, I'm going to move right into 1 Peter. You know what 1 Peter is talking about? The persecution of the church. Persecution of believers who are standing in their faith. And is encouraging us to keep on keeping on. Keep the faith. And so I think it's going to be very relevant if I get to preach through it. Unless Jesus returns, right? Lord Jesus come now, right? So it is sensual. It's worldly minded. It's based on human reason and feeling. It's based on what I think, what I feel, not what the Word of God says. And so what does James begin the chapter with? If you desire to be a teacher, a teacher of the Word. And so he's, he's still moving with that theme, then he says it is devilish. It is demonic in nature and in origin. 1 Peter 5, 8, The devil is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he what? May devour. And that's where we are in our world today. The devil is very active <coughs> in our world today. Where does uh, demonic faith come from look what it says in, in chapter 2 verse 19 he says you believe that there is one God you do well the devils also believe and tremble or shudder they know the facts they have the the head knowledge but they've never come to experience him in a personal way and so this is what James is talking about here this Wisdom that is not from above, it it is earthly, sensual, it is from the devil. And he is at work today. Was it yesterday or is it today? I can't remember. I saw something that some satanic organization was having a march in Raleigh. It's today. And there's a couple of other places around the country Those who worship Satan are marching through our streets. It's a sad day, isn't it? Very scary. We are in that atmosphere today. Look what he says in verse 16. For where envying and strife is, Which is what he said in verse 14, envying and strife, right? Where those exist, there is confusion and every evil work. All kinds of evil. We see it going on in our society today. So the consequences of this earthly wisdom, this demonic wisdom that he's described for us here in verses 14 through 6, 15 here the consequences of that is confusion we live in a world where people are confused and they're protesting things they don't even understand <laughs> i mean they knocked over the statue of George Washington this week makes no sense they're protesting on, uh, and it might be a good thing that went off this morning. I'm back on? Well, never mind then. No. I I, I don't have a screen in front of me, so do I look pretty still? Um, anyway, okay, back online. How long have we been online? Okay. <laughs> uh, I only make seven mad. Maybe somebody in here. But what I was going to say is, you know, they're, they're protesting about slavery, and I, and I get that. I understand that. It, it was wrong, okay? It happened long before me and you came along. And nothing you and I can do about it except say, well, okay, it happened. I don't know anyone in my family that owned slaves. I mean, there may have been, but I don't know of it. That's beside the point. They knocked over the statue of Ulysses S. Grant. Who was supposedly fighting against slavery. So they're protesting and they're destroying property and they're doing all of these things. And they don't even understand why or what. That is the society we're living in today. That is what we're facing today. Today And James, writing this letter here, um, I can't remember the exact date, but probably sometime in, in the late 50s, early 60s AD, first century anyway, 2,000 plus years later, does it apply? It most certainly does. And he says there, where, where envying and strife is, there is confusion. People are confused. They don't understand. You know what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, 33? God is not the author of confusion. God is not the author of confusion. And so when we trust Him and we study His Word, we learn from His Word, He teaches us how we are to live our life and how we are to represent Him in this world. So he says there's confusion. There's every evil work. The the idea of the word evil here means worthless or bad in terms of morality. There is no morality. Every evil work is what he's saying here. Of all kinds of evil. The idea is the, the hypocritical sins of believers. Now he's writing to the church. And so he's saying where these things exist, there's every evil work. Writing about Uh, the sins of believers. It is like those who have a pretense of faith. The writer of Proverbs in chapter 3 verse 7 said this, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. Be not wise in your own eyes. Where are we today? I've got all the answers. I don't need this. I know everything. That's where people are today, right? And that is why we're living in the society that we're living in today. Look what Peter says in Second Peter. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And this is some good stuff here. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have ob- obtained like precious faith with us. So who's he writing to? Writing to believers. To those who have obtained like precious faith, I like that, with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Look at this, verses 3 and 4. According as His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him, knowing Him in a personal way, That has called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us, look at this, exceeding great and precious promises. He's encouraging believers, continuing that thought from 1 Peter. Look what he says, great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. Isn't that some awesome Words there, partakers of the divine nature. When you come to Christ, you are a partaker of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. How do we escape it? When Jesus calls us home. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And we are to make a difference in the lives of people by the way we live our lives. Warren Wisby once, one time, he tells this story in one of his books I've read. He says that uh, as he was uh, concluding the service and they were going out the door, he said this uh, woman come up to him after the service. He was preaching about sin and, and how people sin and, and, and against sin and all those kind of things. Uh, and the woman come out the door and she said, Well, preacher, I, I heard what you said, but don't you think that the sin of the believer is much different than the sin of the lost person? He says, I most certainly do. It's worse. Why is it worse? We know the truth. We have the truth. Do we live the truth? That's what James is getting at here. Let him show that he's a wise man by what? His good conversation, his lifestyle, in his good works. Verses 17 and 18 here. He describes for us heavenly wisdom. He describes that wisdom that is from above. The wisdom that is from above is first of all, and he gives us seven different virtues here. And let me just hit those for you right quick like Some of them are pretty well self-explanatory. First of all, it is pure. That means holy, chaste, innocent here. Undefiled. It is in the context when, it, when you're talking about being pure before God, it is being sacred, being set apart, is the idea here. And so it is the listed first, I think, because it is the primary virtue of wisdom. The wisdom that is from above is, first of all, what? Pure, unadulterated, holy, is the idea. Secondly, he says it is peaceable. That is peace-loving. It's the very opposite of what we've read about here in verses 14 and 15, isn't it? So uh, there's a great contrast that he's presenting to us here. Uh, Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. Why? They shall what? Inherit the earth, right? Blessed are the peacemakers here. So he's talking about unity here and being together, abolishing these Selfish rivalries and this selfish ambition that is evidently going on uh, in the church. And then the third thing he tells us here, it is gentle here. That means to be kind or to be considerate here. The writer of Proverbs in chapter 15 says a gentle answer does what? Turns away wrath. That's some good stuff, isn't it? Gentle answer turns away wrath. The fourth thing he says here, easy to be entreated. That word entreated means to be obedient. Oh, me? Be obedient to the Word of God. To be compliant. To be submissive to the Word of God. And He says it's easy to be that way. What makes it easy? You love Jesus. That makes it pretty easy, doesn't it? To love Jesus. And that's what the world needs today. And you and I must be those lights. In the salt, it, he says it's full of mercy and good fruit. That is a, a willingness to forgive. It is not fault-finding or being judgmental. I was reminded here of Micah 6:8. What does the Lord require of you, O man, but to walk humbly and to love mercy and to do justice, right? Interesting, Joel appreciate this, and Jesse, if he's listening, since they were my outstanding Hebrew students. Uh, <laughs> but the very name Micah, does anybody have a clue what that means? It's basically broken down into three parts. This is your Hebrew lesson for today. I've been giving you some Greek. Here's some Hebrew for today. The me, that we say my, is an interrogative. Who? The k- is the um, um, preposition like or as. And the ah or yah is the shortened form of Yahweh or God. So when you put all three of those together, who is like Yahweh? Who is like God? That's what the name means. Go back to verse 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? This is what James is getting at in this church that is going through all of these bitter envyings, this jealousy, these rivalries, all of these things. He's saying here is true godly wisdom. So it's full of mercy and good fruits. That is, if if these apply to you, what what are you going to do? You're going to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. What did Jesus say? about believers how will we know them by their fruits right the good deeds the things you do to prove that you are in a right relationship with God not as a means to a right relationship but as an evidence of that right relationship that you're in a right relationship with God Look what he says here number six without partiality impartial unwavering without prejudice or favoritism And it goes back to the the same idea that he talked about in chapter 1, verse 8, with the double-minded man, the two-souled man. is what? Unstable in all his ways. He will tell us again uh, in chapter 4, verse 8 uh, here, that to purify your hearts, you double-minded, you unstable here to purify yourself. So the idea is to be uh, without partiality here, finally without hypocrisy. And I think we all kind of understand what that means. The opposite of hypocrisy is what? To be sincere. To be genuine. So, this is how we are to relate to God and to relate to each other. Verse 18, he gives us the result (coughs) of these seven virtues. He says, the fruit of righteousness is what? Sown in peace of them that make peace. The fruit of righteousness. Are you bearing the fruit of righteousness this morning? Are you bearing fruit fit for the kingdom of God? Just where are you on the wisdom scale? Is your wisdom more descriptive of the earthly wisdom? Or does your wisdom fit in line with God's wisdom, that heavenly wisdom? Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you today. We thank you now for the time we've had to share your word. We thank you for these that are here. Father, we pray today that you would just take these words, that you would apply them to our heart and our life. Father, as we have this time of invitation, may you just speak to us. Use it for your honor and your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.